Welcome to the Doe Valley Ministry Podcast, where you can find faithful teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Here's this week's message. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 13. The parable of the wise and foolish virgins. Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 13. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. People have to be responsible for themselves. There are certain matters about which we must be independent. There are some things that no one else can do for us. We must take care of our own matters. Jesus tells a story about a large wedding with ten bridesmaids. According to the customs of the day, there would be dancing and partying all day and into the night. After which the bride would be escorted by her attendants to a place where the big wedding feast would be held. The ten attendants would uh, uh, wait uh, for the right moment and then light the way with their torches. See, in those days, the wedding did not start until the groom arrived. It was the tradition in that culture for the groom intentionally to delay his arrival to keep the bride and her attendants waiting in suspense and anticipation. The time of his arrival was unknown. And in our story, the bridesmaids waited together. They all slept from time to time because they were exhausted from the day's activities. According to Jesus' stories, five of the bridesmaids brought extra oil with them. They were wise because they had enough fuel to keep their torches burning. The other five were foolish because they were not prepared. At midnight, a messenger announced the long-awaited arrival of the groom. The five foolish bridesmaids didn't have enough oil for their lamps, so they asked the five who had come prepared to share their oil. But the prepared bridesmaids could not share their oil without running out themselves. So the foolish five had to go back to town to buy more oil for their torches. Meanwhile, the five with the torches burning went in with the groom to the great celebration. The door was shut behind them. And when the other five returned, the groom didn't recognize them. They were too late to be admitted. Now this parable opens itself up for many applications today and interpretations, but we must be careful with with what we 
decide to be correct. Remember, the, the, I believe the Bible only means one thing, and it means what it meant at the time. But there are many different applications to us today. Some people are, uh, they don't like this parable. They're a little bit disturbed by it because it's not like Jesus' other parables. In fact, some scholars even say, ah, this is not an authentic teaching of Jesus. Um, it, it's been modified, maybe, uh, has a new ending, uh, but this isn't, this isn't right. If you look at the details, it presents too many problems. But I think we can find meaning for us today. The primary meaning of the parable centers around the importance of waiting. In the traditional interpretation of the parable, the bridegroom is Jesus, and the church is represented by the waiting maidens who are invited into the wedding feast. Since Matthew may have been written about 50 years after the resurrection of Christ, the church was struggling with the extended time interval between the first coming and the second coming of Christ. Perhaps some were losing hope. Some suggested that Matthew uses this parable to remind the church that the end will come and it will come suddenly, but it may not necessarily come soon. While verse 13 offers a concluding warning to keep awake, it's interesting to note that sleepiness is not the significant issue in this parable. All the bridesmaids, all of the bridesmaids fell asleep, but not all of them were prepared. That's the difference. The parable may, have, may be about having enough of what it takes to hang in there, long enough to be ready to greet Jesus when he comes. Waiting seems to be one of those central themes of the Christian life. After about 2,000 years of waiting for the second coming of Christ, Christians should be experts at it. Isaiah 40 reminds us, They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This emphasis on waiting reminds us that we are not always in control. Sometimes we want what we want, and we usually want it now. But our relationship with God doesn't always work that way. Jesus more often used agricultural metaphors for the kingdom than he did with building metaphors. We can go out and build a house if we want, regardless of the weather or the time of year, but we can't harvest corn any month we want. In agriculture, there is a time to plow and plant, but then we must wait until the harvest. For some of us, waiting is very difficult. Perhaps it is especially difficult for us in a generation like ours with instant gratification, instant access, instant access, instant answers, instant everything. We are not good at waiting. We're not used to waiting. We don't like to wait in line. We don't like to wait for news. We don't like to wait for mail. We don't like to wait for our food. But the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life emphasize waiting. We are to pray and meditate and wait. For those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. 
Perhaps you have seen people who are good at such waiting. They have amazing strength. People ask, how did you do it? Where did you get all that strength? Why don't you ever get discouraged? Why are you so hopeful about the future? These are the people who know how to wait on God. But I want to focus on another important lesson from our text. This parable reminds us that there are some things we can't borrow. The maidens wanted to borrow oil, but could not. Now, we can go next door and borrow an egg or a cup of sugar. We can borrow a drill, a saw, a mower, a car, a tractor. But we cannot borrow character. We cannot borrow integrity, wisdom, selfless service. And we certainly cannot borrow our relationship with God. Many people get bogged down at this point of the parable. They can't help but focus on the fact that the, the wise virgins refuse to share with the foolish virgin. This apparent lack of charity is offensive to those who remember that Jesus said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus is normally the one who recommends sharing. If someone asks for your coat, give him your shirt as well. But in this story, the bridegroom re rewards those who refuse to share their oil. The unprepared virgins are left to fend for themselves. Now we must remember that this is a parable. When we can't press all the details of a parable, we must find the major lessons and move on. We have to see beyond the contradictions to the deeper meaning, and we all know that there are certain things which cannot be borrowed. There are some things others can do for us. They can care. They can share some of their resources. They can encourage us, offer support and inspiration. But they cannot answer to God for us. And we have the same limits on what we can do for others. We can't make their spiritual choices. We can't answer to God for them. We can't do their spiritual maturing for them. Others have to work with God to cultivate and produce their own spiritual fruit. I like William Barclay's applications here. He says, The foolish virgins found it impossible to borrow oil when they discovered they needed it. A man cannot borrow a relationship with God. He must possess it for himself. A man cannot borrow a character. He must be clothed with it. We cannot always be living on the spiritual capital which others have amassed. There are certain things we must win or acquire for ourselves, for we cannot borrow them from others. There are some things that no one else can do for us. We build character over a lifetime of decision-making. We have a choice of being narrow, negative, nasty, or we can be broad-minded, big-hearted, and brave. Day by day, we build our own reputations and our character. We cannot borrow or give salvation. While it is a worthy thing for parents to bring their babies before the church for an infant dedication, the parents can't make spiritual decisions for that child. No one can accept Christ for someone else's salvation. 
Some people think that. Some people may think they can get into heaven riding the coattails of another's faith. Some think they are right with God because they were born into a Christian family. Some think because their parents are deacons, elders, or ministers in the church, they too will be all right. The Christian faith is more individual than that. Americans may have gone overboard on our emphasis on rugged individualism, but I believe that the individual stands before God alone. Ultimately, we are responsible for our own spiritual growth. It's not something God or other people can do for us. Not any of us can make another person grow spiritually. I wish I could make others grow spiritually. Some people want to be spoon-fed their spiritual growth. And I wish it was as simple as changing the oil in the car. Drain out the old contaminated oil and pour in the new. Drain out the old sinful self and pour in a loving, kind, gentle spirit just like that of Jesus. If it were that simple, church work would be the most rewarding of professions. But in fact, no one can do it for another. The reason church work can be so frustrating is that one can preach and pray and work a lifetime and never see some people changed. In the spiritual life, change must come from within. And even when one finally decides they want to change, it doesn't happen overnight. There are no shortcuts in the Christian life. Spiritual growth requires exercising the disciplines of the Christian life. The Bible has great power to change us, but only if we read it, study it, apply it to our lives. Prayer can bring a grace-filled life, but only if we dedicate the time and energy into it. Service to others has a transforming power, but only if we can look beyond our own selfishness long enough. Jesus' parable has a wonderful immediacy about it. Some of the women were wise, and some were foolish. The story forces us to examine ourselves. Are we with the wise or the foolish? Let us pray. God, may it be that no one here is deceived, that there are none here who have their torch and not the oil, who are outwardly professing Christ for the approval of others, but do not hunger and thirst after righteousness in their hearts. I pray for those oilless torches who have no prayer life, who have no hunger for godliness, who have no love of obedience, who have no passion for the lost, who give evidence of no oil, who are tares, who are shallow soil, weedy soil, who are houses with no foundation. O oh God, by your grace, open their hearts. Fill the vessel with oil that they may be part of the joy of the kingdom celebration of the wedding of the Son and his bride. Amen.